Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watch this week while talking full spoilers. Things might be a little odd, but we want to make this podcast the best we can for an audience. There's a bit of a competition here where we try to not earn points, and at the end of the season, the person with the fewest points wins. We're mostly saving that for the gauntlet now, at the end of every episode, but... The real reason why we're here. Eric, what did you watch this week? Hey, Curtis. I watched two movies that I'm ridiculously excited to talk about. I watched, in the wake of watching Scream 5, The Babadook. And that one's going to be the one that I get stuck in the gauntlet for this time. Okay. So that I stop throwing shade at Scream 5. Mm. And uh, the other one I want to talk about is an awesome... That is an understatement. I want to talk about an insane documentary on a form of racing in a nutshell it's sports car racing it's not drag racing it's not nascar racing it's sports car racing okay and so there's this team rebel rock racing uh and a filmmaker uh adrian bonvento who i got to interview for the music city drive-in the interview is already up over on musiccitydrivein.com this guy was his own crew he got a camera together he got his sound equipment together he placed it interjected during the racing season of this first year of racing for a man joining a team of, of some experienced professionals who were putting together a crew and, and just, just it's just a documentary of from race to race to race, how did the season go? Okay. And it is one of the most intense, based on sound design and editing choices, movies I have ever seen in my life. I was really happy to get to talk to the guy. So um, I would definitely want to talk about that. Probably. So, so it sounds like you already talked about it a little bit. So. Yeah, I did. I, I kind of slipped up a little bit. But what about you? What'd you watch? I care what you want. I don't want to just keep talking about what I want to watch. <laughs> uh, this week, I watched The Evil Dead, which uh, is kind of a favorite of both of ours. Yes. And uh, I went out and watched two movies this week. The one I'm going to talk about, though, is Moonfall. Uh, so, Evil Dead and Moonfall. Evil Dead and Moonfall. Well, then why don't we kick things off with... Moonfall. Moonfall. Might as well eat the thing on your plate that you want to eat the least. I went into this movie. I'm going to be straight up with with very low expectations. I'm not a big fan of Roland Emmerich. Well, I, the whole world is. So that's. Weird. I mean, I was when I was a kid because I, I I used to really like like the Godzilla movie that that he directed. I haven't seen it in, in 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 years though, but that was like my first introduction to like actors like like Matthew Broderick and and the guy Jean who, Renault. Jean Renault. I said that like the douche. Jean Renault. Like I, <laughs> it's staying in by the way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, years later, I watched Independence Day. I wasn't a big fan of that one, and this felt and just by the trailers, this felt like it was going to be like Independence Day, and I was just kind of curious if Roland Emmer got any better with the filmmaking, or if it was just more disaster porn that he likes to make. Well, is that bad filmmaking? It depends on who you ask, you I guess. You want to get buzzed? Not in the gauntlet right now. <laughs> well, I, it's a curious thing, because I think you were talking about it before, about how, like, you know, like, I, I really like Independence Day, but it's definitely a product of the year it was released, like, the time it was released. Right. Um, I, I you know, it's, it's, it's the era of Will Smith's popularity, Jeff Goldblum, like, mm-hmm. like, big event movies are becoming a big deal, Jurassic Park came out around the time, you know, like, this, all this stuff is happening. Yeah. So right. I'm saying you have in this movie a lot of big reasons for people to go to the movie, yeah. right? And, but... He's made since then. He's made like the day after tomorrow, twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. So the, the the basic premise of uh, Moonfall is the moon is falling, 
because the moon is what 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 do they call it? I I I I I hated the movie so much I forgot what they called the moon. It's like this massive superstructure or something along those lines, yeah. and it's hollow on. Just on, call it Mega Moon. <laughs> Mega, might as well. It feels like a Transformers movie like halfway through. Okay, so Mega Moon is angry. Mega Moon's power source is being siphoned and clogged away by an AI entity that rebelled against its human creators because it felt like it shouldn't serve people who it feels are in- inferior to them. Yeah, well, so, I mean, that's, that's... So their goal is to wipe out all uh, organic life in the universe, and they're using the moon to do that for the Earth, because... Now, all this is going to sound kind of interesting, and it's... It, it, no, it, no, it, it sounds is. like the classic villain that you empathize with real hard, <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, do I kind of want to see who succeeds well, here? The moon... The crazy moon AI <laughs> right. that just wants to kill everything, right. Right. Well, or... Well, it, it, it's, it's going to sound like, 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 like a... A kind of like 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 a B sci-fi movie. The the, the moon itself contains yeah. the uh, code for organic life. It holds the DNA code in it, and so what what the what the a- AI is doing is killing two birds with with one stone by using the moon that holds this uh, organic code to destroy the Earth, which has the last bit of organic life in the universe, mm-hmm. and that's the plot. And uh, Patrick Wilson, Holly Berry, and uh, oh yeah, I forget Holly Berry's in there. And uh, Joseph something or other half or go up to the moon to try and destroy this artificial in- intelligence yeah man take it out and the reason why i can't enjoy this movie the way that i think i should is because I, I can't connect with any of, of the characters although maybe you're not supposed to and maybe it's just not the kind of movie for me to watch and enjoy like patrick wilson's character uh witnesses these events early on in the movie and he is seen as, as a madman for uh, raving about how these this uh, oh, this, so he's Randy Quaid from Independence Day. Okay, he's not Randy Quaid from Independence Day. That's that. There's more than one Randy Quaid from Independence Day in this movie. Uh, is Randy Quaid in this movie? Pa- no, Patrick Damn. Wilson plays more of the Jeff Goldblum character in this movie. Yeah. Okay. What? Patrick Wilson plays Randy Quaid combined with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> There's no way he pulls that off. Which is not what I said. Okay. But uh, he's seen as a madman, and for some reason, this causes him to get divorced it doesn't really explain why or how i guess the point is 10 10 years passed from this incident and him and his wife are divorced and his son is now having troubles because his dad isn't around i guess it doesn't really explain well, his dad's insane apparently except his dad's there and he doesn't really he think thinks th- he's randy quaid and <laughs> jeff goldblum how i just don't be- they're supposed the way that it's being set up you're you're supposed to feel some sort of tension between Patrick Wilson and the guy who's playing his uh, his age son, and I don't get I, I don't feel that tension at all. It's not there. What tension? Like, is he supposed to be like, I hate you, Dad. You divorced my mom. Like, is he supposed to be? Th- like, that's what I feel is supposed to be going on, and it, it doesn't feel like that. Is it Justin Chatwin from War of the Worlds? I don't know, but he's got like this long hair, and he, he talks like a normal guy. He just he he doesn't have attitude with with uh, with uh, Patrick Wilson. There's nothing to indicate that they're having trouble with him, other than he was. Shown on TV going on a joyride with a car that had drugs in it, I guess. A drug car, yes. But when uh, Patrick Wilson goes to the courtroom to to uh, be there for emotional support for his son, yeah. there, there's no indication that there's any bitter feeling coming from the son to him. There's there's no visual mark. He's just, he just like stares, and that's it. 
Are you saying like later on it seems like this is supposed to get resolved and you're supposed to feel something, but they didn't no, deliver? Or? No, later on it gets resolved and you're supposed to feel like something's resolved, but it just feels like a thing happened. That's what I just said. Then fine. <laughs> then yes. Okay. And well, it, it just it just seems like like there are these like a bunch of like like little uh, issues that are like spread out throughout the movie and they get resolved almost as fast as they arrive. Yeah, man. So there's no tension. I mean, with most the... of my problems solve themselves. It's only the ones that have to do with moon AIs that, <laughs> that don't. Or, you know, well, actually, most of my problems are solved by my drug car. So, yeah. I mean, it sucks when you have to go to court every once in a while. All this is relatable is what yeah. I'm trying to get across. <laughs> okay. It sounds very relatable to my life. So, All right. But the uh, Randy Quaid character, I, his character mm. plays this uh, conspiracy theorist guy who has this crackpot theory that, that, that the moon is hollow and it's using the power of a white dwarf. To maintain orbit, and it's it's the moon that dealt. Wait, pre- they use that as a conspiracy theory. They use that as a conspiracy theory. The well, the hollow moon truth. <laughs> yes, yes, the hollow moon truth. But but he's he he's the one who so like with Randy Quaid, who I, th- I think in Independence Day was abducted by aliens, and so he yes. has this previously yes yeah. So he has this theory. That the moon is the superstructure that uh, rotates around the Earth, and it had to be aliens that that to built it. His full arc is he gets to go into space, he gets to see inside of the moon, and he gets to sacrifice himself. Uh, yeah, the- okay, Randy Quaid for sure. It's exactly Randy Quaid's character. Uh, difference is this guy gets to survive because before he 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 what kind of survived when he died. The moon, the the superstructure. Copied his conscience in, into the hard drive of, into the mainframe of the moon. So he lives as a personality inside the moon's mainframe. And they use this Everything to set up- you're saying makes this movie sound way more interesting than the trailer makes it look. I know. Uh, Is it a case of if this one paper sounded real cool and if like maybe Michael Bay had made it, this would be like a wild ride that could have been fun? I think so. But that's what it feels like. I, I there, there, there wasn't a time really in this movie where where, where I was bored per, per se, but I, I never got involved in anything that was going on. And that's like the worst that yeah. I could say about this movie. It's a lot better when you can actually get up in the screen and start pressing buttons and help fight the aliens. Yeah. Like, again, like the, the actual story seems like something that I would like. Like, like there, there's there's a lot of schlocky action involved and I, and I do like schlock yeah. to, to, to an extent. But also, I have to like the characters behind the schlock, like with the uh, which we'll get into more with with Ash and or, the Evil Dead. Well, the two questions that usually I think give us the best structure to this that I have to keep remembering to come back to mm-hmm. is: Do you feel like you got anything worth your while out of the movie, and what made you want to talk about it? Uh, hadn't watched a lot of movies this week. Hadn't watched a lot of movies this week, but also. <laughs> Uh, compared to the other one that I watched this week, which was, you know, Death on the Nile, I had more to say about this one than I did Death on the Nile. Oh, that sucks. Because about this one, I think we've covered that the characters are pretty vapid. They copy some of Independence Day. It's all just kind of bombastic action. Right. This one, like, falls into a realm of bad that makes it fun to talk about, where Death on the Nile just kind of, like, a constant yeah. okay. Like I said, rookie season is a first, like, tournament in the life of a crew, a racing crew. Hmm. So there's a guy who it's his first time racing in a car in a full-fledged race. And 
there's another one who he, he has a little bit more experience and they trade off. They have a couple of different drivers, several members of the pit crew and everybody. But it's just the one filmmaker with 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 his gear, his editing, his mindset, his idea of where to put the camera, keeping track of everything. And so I'll just give you an idea. The, the best idea I can say is just watch the opening of the movie. And by the time you see the title card, if you're not ready to watch the entire movie, you're not in the same wavelength as me. You might as well go do something else with your day. Um, what you start with, he actually manages to frame a documentary in one of the um, theatrical frameworks of jump to the third act, catch your interest, pause, back up, and show you what led you there. Mm. So we start with this crew on this super slicked up sports car, right? It's put together, the guys in the pit crew, they get the car ready to go. This first time driver, he's in his last race of the season. He needs to go and he's off into a rainy track. And he is bumper to bumper with cars flying over a hundred miles an hour. And the rain is getting harder and harder. And the engine is whirring so intensely that you almost can't hear the car noise because you hear how hard the engine is screaming. Mm. And I later learned from the guy that this, that's sometimes, even though they wear helmets and gear and ear noise canceling headphones and all this stuff to hear the crew, the drivers can, can hear that, that searing sound. Now the camera is you in the passenger seat of this car. And you know instantly this is a documentary. You don't know why they're showing you this. But you know that the rain is getting harder and you're starting to see less and less out the front windshield of this car. But you start to see brake lights and you see cars whipping back and forth. And the sound design here is peaking over little ticks to kind of let you know and check where this guy is from the pit crew that he left. Little, little notes to keep you grounded on what's going on in the race, how much time he has, what's going on. A car hits the brakes. His, his windshield wipers can't keep the rain off. He can't see anything but faint red lights right in front of his nose and title card. Damn, I'm hooked. I, I, I told this guy, and I hope they put this quote up, that this guy, like, he edits like a musician, and he does. And it's, I don't, I don't know if it's just his instinct on, on how to, just take so many pieces of just how these people live their lives and put it together. But you think the traditional framework is then it comes back and then it's like, well, here we are. And then you do like talking heads of them saying, we're this crew. This is what we do. It's like you can feel the way a documentary works in your head. Mm-hmm. No, screw that. You come in on a spinning tire. And instantly all you're hearing is the piece together voices of the crew working together. Just enough that if you don't understand anything about this type of racing, which I did not, like 0% of it, you, you don't know exactly what's going on, but you know that it's a crew of people who are reliant on one another and need to function well in order to make a race happen. Okay. And I've actually been to an NASCAR race at least once, you know? Right. And okay. I never feel like I got a grasp that I got with this. Of how it is a team sport, just like any other. How if these pieces don't all work together, it falls apart and you are wasting your time. The person that you choose to gas the car is just as important as any linebacker on a football team. Mm. Okay? Because 
This person needs to move in motion with other people who are going to choose to replace tires or leave them the way that they are, switch out drivers, get all this done as fast as possible, mm-hmm. and it's all coordinated by a coach, a manager, some people you know taking the lead who's trying to pay attention to stats of other drivers and watch the game as it goes. And The tension never stops for a second. They don't let you live in the downtime between races. The only time they do is when they're building up the significance of why they do what they do. Like little moments of them relating to like kids who really want to be racers like them and why they're passionate about doing the work that they do. There are two particularly significant sequences. One of them is the manager lining up the crew and saying, you know what, I don't want to hear feedback, responses, or anything from anyone. We're not doing well the way that we are. We need to get better, and it needs to start right now. We're done making mistakes. I don't want to hear anything else. Wow. And it's like, it's people kind of getting chewed out, but also you can feel the sense of everyone being like, yeah, this is how this works. And the other sequence, the most intense thing ever is is grips or reins, slicks. Tires that have tread mm. or tires that have no tread so that you it can move faster and you can drift on turns if you need uh. to and you can do certain things. The question is, this guy's about to pull up. We don't know if over the next four or five minutes, the rain forecast that's coming in for some other dude that's checking the weather knows if it's going to start raining. And it's going to make a world of difference in the rain, whether this guy has one type of tire or the other. He may need grips. He may not need slicks. So he either leaves the tires on or changes his tires out for the same type of tire or changes his tires out for the other type of tire. Mm. And and the camera is locked on the pit crew, jumping back and forth, keeping you in time with a little counter so that you know exactly what's going on. And all of the audio is a combination of sounds of the race happening around them, the headphones of the crew speaking to one another, and particularly a dialogue between a manager trying to give them information about what's going on with the weather and one guy who is not getting an answer to which type of tire they need to put on the car while the car is getting closer and closer and closer to the seconds that they're going to have in order to switch out their tires. At the very last second, when the car is already in front of them, they change their mind from the tire that they have. So the people need to drop it, pick up the other one, get them on, unbolt, bolt it, whatever. And I think actually at the last second, they're like, screw it, nope, just let them go. It's just on a dime, on a fraction of a second, that they make these choices. The reason why I want to talk about this so bad is because this is like a concoction, a a, a relationship, like a marriage of someone so passionate about movie making and just being there at the perfect time to get the perfect opportunity Mm -hmm. with the right skill set to match the right team and the crew working as hard as they can and everyone doing their part like clockwork in order to make the races work. You and I have seen Red Lion, the animated movie, right? Have you seen that? I don't think I've seen Redline. Oh my gosh, it's insane. You've seen Days of Thunder, Speed Racer, Rush, any of the racing movies, Ford versus Ferrari. I've seen that's Ford versus Ferrari. So we know that that's based on a true story, right? Right. But you know that even if you were in the real, if you were really there, you'd be a spectator. So anything exciting that's happening would be happening really far away from you. Right. It's an experience where you get to be in a real life scenario where you are locked with no headphones in the passenger seat of a racing sports car. It's unlike any experience that you've had before. It's unlike any racing movie. It's it's a completely unique perspective from the filmmaker. Again, Adrian Bonvento is his name, and the dude, absolute the, the, crazy. The way you were describing him. this earlier, it sounded like, like you were trying to say the, the, the circumstances made this like a lightning in a bottle type movie, almost. 
I it's the thing is it is everybody's talent mm. that makes it work. It they are the lightning. Like without his understanding of how to work the sounds here, mm. of understanding when it's important to use music and when it's important to let the sa- natural sounds take over, mm-hmm. why you want to have the searing sound of the engine in your ear versus muting everything out. Like sometimes in really tense situations in like a, a, a theatrical movie, mm. you hear like. <laughs> Right. You know, like, everything goes quiet in that beat or whatever? Yeah. No. That's theatrical whatever. And there's a time and a place for that, right? Right. But this guy knows. His instincts are right on about what you need to be hearing and looking at at any given point in time. Okay. Structure things, keep things on time, keep things to the point that you understand what's going on at every second, and it's so investing to watch. In terms of appreciating documentary as art... Mm-hmm. I always appreciate it as sort of a different art than fictional filmmaking. Right. Just like I think of writing uh, biographical as a talented art that is a different style of art from f- fictional writing. Right. You know, and and I, I think of them as different products, but this movie blurs that line. Mm. And 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 I don't know, I can't speak of any other movie I've seen to this yet that does that. I'm really excited to talk about the Evil Dead. So I just like talking about the Evil Dead. Here's the thing. E- Evil Dead. Here, here's what I'm going to say about e- Evil Dead to begin with. It is, in in look and feel, it is cheap. It is gross. It is grotesque. It, on multiple levels, falls in, in, into campy while trying to be serious at the same time. And I love every bit of this movie. Yeah. I really like the Evil Dead. Everybody has a thing. Everybody has their thing. They have their favorite. They have them mm. ranked, rated, twittered, whatever they want to do to mm. these series. But yeah. I the Evil Dead just feels like the Cabin in the Woods movie to me. More so than Evil Dead 2. Because yeah. Evil Dead 2 feels like a movie that knows what it is and hands up its specific brand. The Evil Dead just to me feels like I just want to see... The creepy idea brought to life of going and being scared in a cabin in the woods mm-hmm. by monsters. Right, and uh, like after after I finished watching, I, I did pop in Evil Dead Two for for a little bit because like the thing that made me watch these was I, I got them on 4K recently. Oh yeah. Uh, and the first thing that I noticed different between Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two is is the color timing, where Evil Dead One has a lot of earthy tones, a lot of browns, a lot of uh, forest colors, and Evil Dead Two has like a sheen of blue over it really it's what it looked like to me i I think i think i know what you're talking about when i think of comparing the two shots of uh famously sam raimi rode a bike with the the camera on the bike through the house Mm -hmm. to come out the front door towards ash yeah uh well they replicated that for evil dead 2 right right and i do think i remember when they redo that shot for evil dead 2 that having a different like, ooh, we're trying to make it seem gray and overcast or whatever, but it's like a blue overtone kind of thing. Yeah, something like that. But for the most part, when I think of Evil Dead 2, I just think about it, like, being bloodier and... I mean, it, it, it would be if they didn't replace all the blood with uh, black, gooey stuff. I mean, Ash still bleeds blood from time to time, but all, all the deadites, they bleed black for oh, some okay. reason. Uh, unlike in Evil Dead 1, where everyone bleeds red. Hmm. And cottage cheese. And cottage cheese. <laughs> See, that's immediately the first thing I'm going to say when I talk about... We're getting to talk about the Evil Dead, right? So the yeah. thing I'm going to go through is how much how much 
hard, hard work and how much not fun there would have been on set, but also how much fun it sounds like it was to kind of like just make a movie and make this crazy project that you get to be proud of forever, right? Right, right. And you, you went in, in, into this a little bit when, when we were watching a while back, but there's a scene like when uh, I think Ash's girlfriend has the knife and she's kind of like stabbing wildly. She's almost completely blind while doing that, right? With the kind of Yeah, because the, the, for the first movie, the... Whiteout context they used for them to show that they're possessed made them basically unable to see. So not only is she swinging this thing around in Bruce Campbell's face, but she has no idea what she's doing. Like he could have so easily been hurt. Like everything, mm-hmm. everything could have. People got hurt making this movie. You know, oh, I have no doubt. Um, and like you know, and and there's unfortunate stuff that happened in this movie. I think Sam Raimi has since apologized and said that if he could take out the tree uh actual impaling thing he would Mm -hmm. uh but just in in a nutshell what this is is this crew of people wants to make a crazy fun horror movie Mm -hmm. so they made a short movie called book of the dead yeah and then they wanted to make the full movie book of the dead and ended up being evil dead Mm -hmm. i've still never heard one person tell me exactly why and when that happened (laughs) not even sam raimi nobody i don't know but the point is they went out, they they sat around with a couple of their friends in their 20s in a cabin freezing to death for, like, weeks to make a stupid movie. Yeah. Like, and, and they, a movie that they had no foresight to believe was going to be what it was you, to entertain people. Just by watching the film itself, like, you, you can tell that they didn't think that this was going to blow up the way it did. It is... It is so far, in a way, different from any other horror movie coming out in at that time in the eighties. Because at that time you have you have the Friday the Thirteenth movies coming out. You have oh, yeah. uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. You have the 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 Halloween movies coming out, and they're I can't say Hollywood horror because they're not. They're all kind of an in, independent. In in no, in, they they were in studio systems. Okay, all three of those were. Like, Mustafa Akkad was producing all of the Halloween movies, and mm. that's why there were restrictions and changes and all of okay. that. Friday the 13th was all, Paramount was all over that still in the 80s. Oh, and right, hadn't right. And on a new line. Yeah. So the new get, line was, Right. Know. And so then, then you get the Evil Dead, which feels unrestricted in every sense of the word. They just go for anything that they can think of to do, and they do it. Yeah, to the point where it's just like... They never, they never talk vainly about what they did, so it's hard to understand this. But I would hate to believe this about myself, but I think I would be the person who, on set, would be like, "Can't we just walk around the cabin with the camera? Mm-mm. Can't we just be in a tree and have it be like watching from different angles?" Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand the motivation to. Stick to a wooden board, possibly damage one of the only cameras you have to make the whole movie. So risk the whole movie mm-hmm. to walk through puddles of water and mud and get terrible sound and all this kind of stuff and do all this. There are so many reasons I would have to say, no, this is a bad idea at like every step of the production process. Right. But these these people, this team knew what they were doing. And of course, this is still a cult movie. It's not like Evil Dead is, is like... You know, no. Nightmare on Elm Street or any of these franchises that are bigger or whatever. But obviously it has its cult standing and it has its own thing. Like, it's... it's... Yeah. I think the thing that, that makes me go go back to it is is, is that that uh, sense of, of freedom to it. But also I, I like watching Bruce Campbell as, as Ash, like, start as a normal person. And just throughout the movie, just de- devolve into insanity. Yeah, he starts as the most neutral teenage stock character. 
and by the end of the movie is something someone adult someone different yes right incredibly so and at the start of the second movie even though they're pretending the first movie didn't happen he's already a weirdo <laughs> in the beginning of the second movie yes then he becomes full ash you know at the end of that movie mm. it's it's not just a progression of insanity it's mm. a progression of how much is ash ash right. he becomes fully ash after this movie but right it's, yeah it it's and so weird because they're not even thinking about that when they're making the movie. No. They're not even thinking, oh, at the end of it, Ash is going to end up like a certain type of character. It's just like, how would this guy act if all this stuff had happened to him? Mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell just didn't know how freaking great he is. And yes, I get buzzed for that, but whatever. And, and, and that's the other thing. It, it, like The acting throughout the movie isn't all that great. Like like even Bruce Campbell in, in in the beginning like like everything feels a, a little bit stale and stiff. It feels like these these, these people are not used to saying their 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 lines. Um, Shelley is I, I think a good example of that. Uh, all the way up until I, I until the scene where she's like actually freaking out and like like there there are a few moments where where I believe people are are truly scared in this and that's one of them. And it, it, it's 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 almost I'm gonna compare this in a weird way to like Bill and Ted. In the sense that a lot of the things in this movie that feel like it should be a detriment to it turn out to be a charm to it. Oh, yeah. Well, it is because you can actually... I think part of it is that you can feel immediately this is not a big studio production. Right. I think, I think your people's lizard brain when they watch this movie either thinks, then why am I watching this? This is just some guy's creepy movie. <laughs> or they think, or they think okay... So everything they do is going to be someone working really hard and trying really hard to make something in- mm-hmm. independently. Yeah. And so you automatically set your brain to, oh my gosh, they pulled that off instead of, oh my gosh, that looks like cottage cheese. You know? Like, <laughs> right. It, 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 your mindset, I think, is set by what you're looking at. I, I had never seen this movie until way later, but you have a history with this movie, like when yeah. you were little. Like, uh, it's uh, according to my dad, it's the only movie, it's the only horror movie that he ever watched that he had to turn the lights on for. Uh, right. When when I saw it for the first time, it was with my dad in 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 the room. I was probably around fourteen or fifteen years old, and I wasn't that impressed with it. To be honest, I was like, ah, it's a fun horror movie. Okay. That's the cool thing is is you always think in a vacuum like a bunch of screenings in LA and a bunch of like talk show people or whatever watching is like oh the violence oh the gore oh let's talk about an ooh cool cool horror movie, but off over here in this subsect out here, where nobody's involved in all that discourse or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just someone saw a movie and it freaked them out. Yep, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. This week, Eric has chosen the Babadook, Babadook. To, to do for the gauntlet. Duke. So, Eric, question number one. Is the Babadook a good or a bad movie? There's this awesome scene in the Babadook. Oh, awesome. Ah. You can't, can't give opinions because you can only be objective in the gauntlet. It's the number one rule. Yeah, so the Babadook mm-hmm. is a movie. About struggles of raising a child. Mm -hmm. And you tell me if it's good or bad based on the idea that there is no Babadook in the movie. I can't give that opinion. Well, that's my answer to the question. Because I haven't seen... move on to the next question. I haven't seen the movie yet. So, what is your favorite scene in the Babadook? I was... I have already seen the Babadook, so when I was watching this movie, Mm -hmm. I was doing something else at the same time. 
Okay. And I was sucked in by a sequence of editing around the first time that the mother is unable to sleep at night. And this is another thing where I I do have a favorite scene, mm-hmm. but I think we've said this before, I don't remember about what movie, but it's my favorite because of the way it builds off of a moment like that. What would you remove from the movie, from the Babadook, should anything be removed? Like, if they had not shown the creature, the Babadook, as much, mm-hmm. I think more people would have caught on to what's going on in the subtext of the movie. Okay. Because there are many people who just think of it as a monster movie that doesn't do enough with the monster. Mm. Okay. And they think of it as, like, for example, there are some people who argue that since you don't see the monster in the climax of the movie, it's kind of like a cheap move. Like, you're not spending money on showing the monster You're from its point of view. Right. They're not understanding a lot of the direction that's happening. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Okay. So, uh, who is the best actor and who is the worst actor? Essie Davis plays the mother. Mm-hmm. That is the entire movie. She what? has to carry the entire movie. Um... I don't think I have yet accidentally said the subjective thing. I've only implied it. Is that cheating? Screw you. Uh, Haley McElhenney mm-hmm. plays her sister. And she has to play the type of character that I, I mentioned in the Peanut Butter Falcon. Mm-hmm. The one who's just not understanding of the kid with behavioral problems. Okay. And so I'll get buzzed once at least. It just, it it pushes that a little far to me with the whole, like, but your child is just so awful. Give your favorite quote from the Babadook. Ah, uh, well, that's easy. It's Babadook, Duke, Duke. <laughs> Alrighty then. What is the movie missing? Anything you would add? No. It's funny, the, the you know, I, I got to see the, the Scream Factory release. IFC worked with Shout Factory to release a version of it. It has mm. a pop-up book slip cover. Mm. It's awesome. <laughs> Fuck. Um, but the it came with the short film that the person made before this. Ooh. So you can kind of see the condensed idea of what they were doing, and then a more complex idea. Okay. So you can actually see what this movie it looks like stripped down. Mm-hmm. And how it just becomes a different movie. Uh, what did you enjoy from the story? A lot of people talk about what makes a movie scary. I'll buzz myself for this because I'm going to give an opinion here. Okay. A lot of people talk about what makes a movie scary. And a lot of times an answer that people give is is when you take something comforting and you make it feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Jaws, it's no longer safe to go into the water. Uh, the Ring, it's no longer safe to just watch a video that's blank. Mm-hmm. This is different because it's not just that they take mom and mm-hmm. they make her unsafe. Mm-hmm. It's that it's very real that moms can be unsafe. Mm, yeah. I, 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 I get what you're saying. It's like, oh, yeah, your haunted videotape could be haunted, but haunting doesn't really happen. But a mom can be burned out in developmental illness and then act horrible to a child. So, you're talking about something really horrific and glazing it with enough mystique and supernaturalness mm-hmm. that 
you see it as just a movie that's like taking a comfortable relationship with your son and making that scary. A comfortable relationship with your mom and making that scary. So it hits you on two levels where it's preying on insecurities that really scare you in real life mm-hmm. and taking a supernatural punch at just a bedtime's child book. There's there's a reason why they chose the Babadook for that reference for screen. Um, did you learn anything about making movies from watching this? Editing can be everything. Um, this could have been the most mundane feeling movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some people, they do just think that it's that it's boring. The people who are like naysayers, mm-hmm. but they took the time to craft like these old cheesy movies that the mom is watching on TV, so that they could play in front of her, just so that it could feel like something you're naturally watching on the background on TV. Mm-hmm. The way that they hold on insert shots of certain things, or time lapse over the mom's face to show you just how much she is worn out by not being able to sleep, and just just. All these creative choices in the way that they choose to bend or edit footage. It shows me different ways to take the mundane and make it feel tense or scary. Okay. What would make you watch this again? Personal reasons? I would watch this again if I were feeling insecure as a parent. Okay. Last question. Would Nicolas Cage have made this a better movie? Infinite. Infinitely. Okay. I'm joking. No, no, he wouldn't at all. Unless he was the kid. The kid with behavioral problems. Hmm. Okay. Yep. If he if he played a a this little innocent wide-eyed boy mm-hmm. and was just like, but mom, I gotta stop the Babadook. I have a thing that can shoot at him. Look. And then he shoots like a, a baseball through a window. <laughs> and the mom was playing it dead serious. Like... Why can't you just relate to people? And he's like, ah, like screaming in the back seat. Mm. No, he would not serve this movie at all. Thank you all for listening to another episode of this film not rated. You can find us uh, at the at the musiccitydrivein.com where you can find a a, a host of other podcasts. Because uh, we are part of that network. Because we are part of that network. Uh, but uh, I am Curtis. You can follow me on Twitter at 90sGamer407. You can also follow me on Twitch where I stream from time to time video games on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 11.30 to 2 in the morning. And uh, every now and then I do an anime watch party on Fridays from at, the, at around the same time. So if you like anime and you like talking about anime while watching anime... Come join and we can talk about anime. And I'm Eric and you can find me at High Contrast FLM. High Contrast FLM. And from there you can look at my bios. You can see links to all of my other movie vlogging social media. See you later.